This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two episodes from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Edmund O'Brien. Enjoy. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. I received a message you called. This is Roy Underwood. Oh, yes, Mr. Underwood. I've been hired by the Plymouth Insurance Company to look into the jewelry you reported stolen. That's what the message said. I uh, wondered when I could see you, find out if you have any idea who stole it. I'll be in my apartment for the rest of the night, and I'll tell you everything you need to know. I know who stole it, and I think I know where you can find her. Ah, you make it sound very simple, Mr. Underwood. I'll see you after dinner. Say 8.30. Edmund O'Brien in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Virginia town matter. Expense account item one, $20, transportation and incidentals between Hartford and the Hotel Bentley, New York City. I contacted the policyholder, Roy Underwood, and at 8.45 that first night, I arrived at the 63rd Street apartment. The meeting was not in private. We can go in the study. Well, maybe I shouldn't have interrupted you tonight. Oh, won't take long. I'll be right back. A little business. But what am I going to do with him? He just sits there with that character and ignores me. Oh, sure, Ellie, sure. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. Uh, excuse me. I hope you'll pardon my uh, not introducing him to you. I will. Gets a little out of hand sometimes. Uh, here. There's whiskey on the table if you want it. No, thanks. This jewelry you reported stolen. I have a description. Will you look at it? Tell me if it's right. Yeah. Yes, this is correct. They were stolen by a woman named Virginia Town. You sure of that? Oh, yes, I'm sure of it. She was here at a party, very much like this one. I saw her leave with them. You didn't try to stop her? Of course I did. It's not my responsibility to place a thief under arrest. Did you notify the police? No, I was going to, but I thought better of it next morning. I wanted to give her a chance to think twice, too, uh, She'll bring them back. I won't swear out a complaint. The pieces are all women's jewelry. Two bracelets and three rings. Yes, I buy odd pieces when I can. A reasonable price. How did she manage to get hold of them? They were in my dresser drawer. She put them on. I told her to take them off. She refused and, and left. Mm-hmm. You mentioned on the phone that you thought you knew where I could find this Virginia town. Well, I'm not sure, you understand. I tried to phone her at her apartment, but she'd moved out. Then I called her closest friend, a girl called Frances Adams. She said she didn't know where Virginia was, but I think she was lying. I think Virginia was right there. Where do I find this Frances Adams? Oh, her flat's in Lexington, near 40th. Uh, she's a Czech girl at the 
top hat and works till four in the morning. I'll give you her address. Before I left, I was shown a posed photograph of Virginia Town inscribed to Roy with more thanks than I can ever say. I didn't keep the photograph, but the vision of the face in it stayed with me. On Roy Underwood's hunch where Virginia Town might be, I cabbed to the address of a friend on Lexington. Phil. Didn't take. Oh. Miss Virginia Town? Who are you? My name is Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm here to talk to you about some jewelry owned by Mr. Roy Underwood. What? May I come in, please? Yes. Roy sent you here? I'm working for the insurance company. Roy said he thought you might be found here. And he said the jewelry was his. That's right. He said you stole it. But that's not true. He gave it to me. One of the bracelets for Christmas last year, the other for my birthday, and the rings at other times. You have proof of that? Proof? He knows he gave them to I me. I said proof. My instinct was that something like this might be the case. But the people who hired me can't consider the personal angles. I should have expected something like this. Underwood has proof of ownership. He insured the pieces to himself, and he undoubtedly has bills of sale. You'll have to give it all back, or you'll go to the police. I can't give it all back. I sold one of the bracelets. Well, you can buy it again. No, Jason. I couldn't possibly. I sold it at a low price because I didn't have any money and I had to live. You must have friends. Can't you borrow enough to get it back? I have friends. But they're the ones I had before I met Roy. One's a hat check girl like I was. Another's a cab driver. That's who I thought was at the door when you knocked. You got the kind of people who can scrape up $1,500 at the drop of a hat. Is that what you need? At least that. Not much of a market for things like that bracelet. Had to take a cut price. That or wait months for a buyer. But I had a right to sell it. It was mine. I didn't steal it. He said you did. He said you took it and the rest of the stuff out of his dresser drawer. That's not true. There was a party going on? Yes. Did you go into his room? Yes, to tell him that I didn't want to see him anymore. He laughed at me and said I'd come back to him any time he wanted me to. I guess this is what he meant. If you were in there alone with him, it's his word against yours. As I said, he has proof of ownership. I'm afraid you're really in trouble. Unless I crawl back. That'll be Phil. Just a second, Phil. I don't know how he's going to take the news. There's nothing to do but tell him. Phil's last name was Kelly, and it matched his appearance. He was over 40, red hair beginning to gray. As he listened, his heavy, freckled hands started to clench and unclench. And the look in his eyes convinced me more than her words that Virginia Town was telling the truth. The rest of the story came out. Underwood had gotten her into a few chorus lines after he talked her out of a job in a nightclub. Not because she had any outstanding talent except beauty, but because of his influence. When he stopped using that to her advantage, there was no more work. Until I finally got it through my empty head that the farther in debt I got, the more he enjoyed it. So I stopped it the only way I knew how. I told him it was finished, and it was. And she's no thief. She sold only what was hers. She didn't steal them gigaws. It's not what I think, Kelly. It's what the police can pile up in the way of evidence. Well, then the truth of it is, I sold the bracelet. I stole it from her. I stole it from her, and that's why she can't give it back. Tell him that and see what can pile up against me. Now, wait a minute, Kelly. Bill, now you're being ridiculous. No, I'm not. There's no reason to bother Mr. Dollar with all this. It's his job to return the jewelry if he can, and that's all. But you're not going to see Virginia arrested because of the personal feelings of this scum now, are you? No, I'm not, if I can help it. Well, that's better. What are you going to do, Mr. Dollar? Well, I'm going to give you some time to try to raise the money. I'm overstepping my bounds, but I think you deserve a break. I'll stall Underwood for two days. Tell him I haven't found you. That's tomorrow and the next day. That's the best I can do. That'll be time enough. And I'll deliver his blasted gigaws myself with a slug in the teeth to boot. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Dollar. Forget it. I'll check back with you tomorrow. <laughs> I felt justified in letting personal feelings rule me for that short time at least because I was sure the company wouldn't want to be used in any kind of a blackmail scheme. I met Frances Adams, the girl with whom Virginia was sharing the apartment when I checked the progress the following afternoon. When I went back that evening, a couple of hundred dollars had come in and Kelly was out trying to raise more. 
I stayed there alone with Virginia, waiting for him to come back. And I caught myself thinking less about my part of it, and more about the way she was facing what could be in her future. She was uncomplaining and almost naively brave about accepting the possible results of the mistake she had made. I returned to my hotel and called Underwood. I knew I was on thin ice when I stalled him one more day, but it had to end that third night when she calmly gave me the latest development. We couldn't buy the bracelet if we had $5,000, Johnny. I don't get it. It's been cut up. Even one of the larger diamonds has been cut. When did this come out? This afternoon, about four. Why didn't you call me then? Because I didn't want anybody else to be here when I told you about it. Well, that doesn't seem to make my next move any easier. I'll have to go to Underwood tomorrow morning. I know you will. That's why I wanted to tell you this way. Because the next time I see you, you won't be my friend. You'll be just another man with some evidence. I've grown used to you as a friend, Johnny. I'm sorry it had to happen this way. No matter how it happened, I'm glad it did. You think we could forget all of it? I wish you'd take me someplace. We can try. Where do you want to go? Any place. Just have a couple of drinks. I don't care. I just want to go someplace with you. Come on, get up. Sure. Hey. What, Johnny? this nonsense you were talking on the phone when you thought the insurance company would be willing not to prosecute if the loss was made up? Who's going to make up the loss? Forget it, Emma. You think that's any way to stop crime? I said forget it. I certainly intend to. I've got your stuff. I was willing to show some leniency if everything was returned, but I'd be a fool The missing piece is listed as worth $2,400. If you'll sign this claim, I'll turn it into the company. Here's my pen. Thank you. Can't afford to be taken advantage of by every beautiful young thing that happens along. Here you are. Thanks. I want to thank you for what you've done. It's nothing but a job, Underwood. Nothing but a job. It was a quarter after twelve when I left Underwood's apartment. I had to make my own report on the matter to the police, and that took until 2.30. I then had lunch and went back to my hotel to pack, planning to leave for Hartford as soon as possible. It wasn't very soon. Come. Mr. Dollar? Yeah? Lieutenant Brinker, homicide. Hmm. What's up, Lieutenant? You made a report earlier this afternoon on some jewelry owned by one Roy Underwood that had been stolen and then partially returned. I did. I guess we need another statement from you. Stuff is missing again, and Roy Underwood has been shot to death. Come on. We will return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Gay, tuneful, funny, and laden with loot. It's the hour-long Sing It Again, which comes to you every Saturday on most of these same CBS stations. Jan Murray makes for the laughs and buzzes listeners from coast to coast, asking the solution to the Phantom Voice mystery, offering $1,000 in cash, if you get it right. Be listening for Jan Murray and Sing It Again later tonight on CBS. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. On the way to headquarters with Lieutenant Brinker, I learned that Underwood had been killed in his apartment. The report had been phoned in by the building manager at 2.20 that afternoon when he heard the screaming of Alice Breen. She was the drunken young woman I had run into the first night on the case. She was being held as a material witness. In spite of the fact that the jewelry was again missing, the police took a dim view of her story that she'd entered the apartment and found Underwood dead. As far as I was concerned, there were a number of things I wish I hadn't done and a number of things I wish I hadn't said in my first report to the police. 
Now, you stated that after three days of searching, you found the suspect in the original theft this morning, recovered the stolen property, minus one item, and returned it to the owner. Do you think that between the time you found this Virginia town and started back to Underwood's apartment, somebody could have learned about the jewelry and followed you? I'm not sure. Somebody knew about it and planned to steal it. I don't know why they didn't steal it from the town girl. According to your report, this Virginia town told you she considered the property in question to be a series of gifts. That's what she said. If that were true, do you think she would have conspired to armed robbery to regain it? I don't know. I don't know. Why are you working these possibilities over, Lieutenant? I'm trying to eliminate them as possibilities. This Alice Breen, we know she was involved with Underwood. We're told he was pretty ruthless in getting rid of women he was through with. Motive of passion would be easier to work with. I haven't heard a whole statement. She hasn't made a decent one. But what she told the manager doesn't jibe with what she told us. Lieutenant, I can recheck the town girl's statements and maybe get something if you'll let me do it alone. Why should we do that? Well, you don't have to. She knows my sympathies are with her. I think she was getting a bad deal from Underwood, and she knows I think so. You've got a good record here in New York, Dollar. You think you might do better alone? I guess I can take a chance on you. You've got quite a bit at stake yourself, haven't you? What do you mean by that? I sent some men to Virginia Town's place. She wasn't there, but the girl she lives with was. What she told my men makes it sound like you found her before you said you're dead. You can still take a chance on me, Lieutenant. I hope so, Dollar. By the time I got to the Lexington Avenue apartment, the roommate, Francis Adams, was gone, too. But through his cab company, I did locate Phil Kelly. I swear I didn't even know about it. I was brought up to mourn the dead, but if you'll excuse me, I can't bring myself to it this time. Well, that's hardly the point. Where's Virginia? I don't know. Where's Francis Adams? I don't know that either. This is a work day. I've been on the go since morning. Where would Virginia go? You must have an idea. From what I've seen, I wouldn't be at all surprised if she wasn't looking as hard for you as you are for her. Have you thought of that? Why would she do that? You don't know. Well, come. She has the strongest motive for the killing so far. If I can't find her, I'll have to tell the police that's why she's hiding. Now, that isn't so at all. What other reason would she have? They'll ask me that, and I'll have to answer them. She's no murderess. Well, she's acting mighty like one. Get into the cab. I'll take you to her. That's the door there. I won't go in with you if you don't mind. I don't know she's there. She's there. Okay. I've got a check on you, Kelly. Who is it, Phil? It's Dollar. Let me in. Dollar. Why did you come here? Who told you where I was? What are you doing here? It's none of your business. Did your job, didn't you? You told me last night that no matter what your personal feelings were, you had to do your job. Well, you did it. Why can't you leave me alone now? If he was still alive, I couldn't. Still alive? The police have been looking for you. Roy Underwood's dead? You didn't know? Of course I didn't know. Johnny... Why are you hiding? Because I... Because I didn't want to be arrested. You told me Roy was going to swear out a complaint. He didn't have a chance to. Starting at about 1 o'clock this afternoon, where have you been? Here. Johnny, please. How did you get here? What difference does that did make? Kelly bring you? No. And how did he know where you were? Johnny, I came here because you said Roy could swear out a complaint and it was his word against mine and that somebody in my spot didn't have much of a chance. I wish you'd been as truthful with me. What do you mean? You've lied to me. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. Now I realize they were stupid, obvious lies. And I believed them because I wanted to believe them. Johnny... You told me Underwood gave you those things as presents, Christmas, birthdays, and so on. That's true. The police have learned that he bought all of the pieces on the same day at an auction, year before last. I didn't know that. I don't care when he bought them, he gave them to me. You didn't tell me until last night that the bracelet you sold had been cut up. The police learned that the jeweler who bought it told you he was going to cut it up. All right, I did lie. You offered me two days to try and think of something to do? I gave you three, and I'm in trouble because of them. Is that all they mean? Yeah. Now that's all they mean. Johnny, how can you say that? Because your lies have made you a lot less beautiful than I thought you were. Johnny. I have to clear myself with the police. Not only about robbery, but about murder now. 
The only way I can do that is to take you in, let you clear up your lies, if you can. I'm sorry, Johnny. About what? That it had to be this way. I'm sorry. If you're ready to go, there's a cab waiting. It was a silent trip to police headquarters in Kelly's taxi, and Lieutenant Brinker allowed me the privilege of being present while he questioned Virginia for two hours. When it was finished, Alice Breen, the material witness, was released, and I walked out of the building into a murky New York evening. Mr. Dollar. You still here, Kelly? Where else would I be? You want to drive me back to my hotel? Sure, get in. When's she coming out? I don't think she is, Kelly. Why not? Well, they're building up quite a case against her. What about? Not killing that scum? Yeah. She didn't do it, and you know it. I don't know, Kelly. Well, I do. I know where she came from, and I know what she is. She had nothing for so long that when that Underwood gave her his line and made his rotten promises, she thought it was heaven opening up to her. I know, because she told me so. With her eyes shining. Can't you see you've just exposed her motive? She had nothing when he found her, and he was going to send her back with less. A prison term. She didn't kill him. Why do you keep saying that, Kelly? Because I killed him. The motive you've given her was mine. Do you think I'd stand by and let him send her to prison? Do you think I'd do that? Knowing her since she was a baby? And a mother and father before? Kelly, do you know where the jewelry is? Yes, I know. Where is it? I'll tell you in good time. I want you to take me in there now. The police have the jewelry, Kelly. They're lying to me. She told them where she'd taken it after she killed him. And they found it there. Maybe I'd better get another cab, huh? Expense account item two, $230, miscellaneous. Item three, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $270. Remarks? Please make the check payable to Charles Hagen, attorney for the defense in the case of the people versus Virginia town. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dodd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, The Redhead and the Cowboy. Featured in tonight's cast were Ramsey Hill, Gene Wood, Virginia Gregg, Jack Moyles, and Ed Begley. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. If words alone could stem the tide of rampaging communism, it'd be fine, for talk is cheap. But no amount of sidewalk gossip, intellectual discussion, or silver-tongued oratory has any effect on the ever-surging threat of red aggression. But there are things a communist does respect. He respects atom bombs. He respects wide-winged, globe-circling bombers. He respects steel-girded ships of the line. He respects well-conditioned, well-equipped fighting men. Yes, this makes sense to him. So, let's make him respect us by providing these things in great numbers. To do this takes money, and we can help provide that money by buying United States defense bonds. The month of May has been proclaimed Defense Bond Month, and every American citizen is being asked to get on the bond wagon. Sign up for the regular purchase of bonds at your bank or place of employment. If you're already doing that, try to buy an extra bond. This has to be. For remember, only talk is cheap. Just ten years ago this month, our government started the sale of savings bonds. A few short months later, these same bonds were known as war bonds. 
Today, with a world suspended in a state of raw nerve existence, we are asked to buy defense bonds. Let's buy them all we can now. Help provide the weapons of defense and security so that in a few short months, they will still be known as defense bonds, not war bonds. A successful bank robbery gets knocked flat by a schoolboy's baseball on gangbusters tonight. Don't ask me how it's done, but gangbusters always dramatizes a true police story. And this story, the case of a game of ball, will be told by the California sheriff who knew the boy and captured the robbers. Be listening for gangbusters on most of these same CBS stations tonight. Stay tuned now for five minutes of the latest news. This is CBS, where you laugh at Jack Benny every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Uh, Johnny Dollar. Mitchell Dollar. Oh, swell. Take some warm milk. You'll be asleep in an hour. I'm sorry to wake you up, but this is important. Okay. How fast can you get to New York? Pretty fast. If you let me get out of bed and slip on some clothes, I might make it in a couple of hours. Well, it's 5.30. Get to the New York office by the time it opens. Unless I get a 40-mile tailwind, you're going to be an awful liar. What's this all about? Double indemnity. A man named Farmer burned to death. He has a wife. She gets $100,000 unless... She likes fires. Okay, I'll get out of bed. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Great Eastern Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the George Farmer matter. Expense account item one, $5.80 for gas and a cup of coffee between Hartford and your New York office. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. Mitchell called me this morning, 5 o'clock, said you'd be here. He called me at 5.30. He must have been very sure you'd take the job. <laughs> He's familiar with my bank account. Yeah, the briefs on the case. Uh-huh. Mr. Farmer was on his vacation to the Catskills, a place called the Sportsman's Retreat. Uh-huh. This is the correct address on the wire? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah? Who? Oh, put him on. Yes, hello, Dr. Evans. Yeah. Farmer? George Farmer? Yes, that's right. Our investigator's here now. All right, I'll have him come right over. Certainly. 
It was Dr. William Evans, one of our insurance doctors. He says he has some information on the farmer case. Oh? He was the one that okayed farmer for the policy. He's in the equitable building. He's going to go on over. He says it's rather important. Expense account item two, a dollar for cab fare and tip to the equitable building. You may ask why I didn't use my car, in which case I may ask if you've ever been absurd enough to wheel your own car through early morning New York traffic. As my cab pulled up at the entrance of the equitable building, I spotted a large crowd, several police cars and an ambulance. All right, just keep it back. Okay, you, where do you think you're going? What happened? Some guy jumped eight floors. A Dr. Evans? I don't know. What makes you think it was this doctor? I haven't had an easy case in two years. What did you bet? His name's Evans. Hey, Jake, any identification? Yeah. Some doctor works the building. Name's Evans. Uh, be glad you're not a betting man, Sergeant. Wait just a minute, Joe. Sure. Hey, Jake, come here. Where is it? This guy knew who the guy was who jumped. Yeah? Knew who it was before he ever saw him. Didn't even know the guy had jumped till I told him. He just up and bet me it was this Dr. Evans. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. I think you better come up and see a lieutenant. I think I better, too. Jake followed me into the building and took me up to the eighth floor where I met Lieutenant William Briggs, a nice guy who worked for homicide and had done me a few favors in the past. Hi, Dollar. Hello, Bill. You know this guy, Lieutenant? Yeah, why? Where'd you find him? He knew the guy who jumped. I made a guess. Evans called my office on an insurance matter. Who pushed him? What makes you think he was pushed? Why call me, then take an 8-4 dive? I don't know. You got any ideas? Anybody see him jump? A couple of people. He came out of the window feet first. They didn't see anybody give him a hand. Well, let me know if you find anybody who might have, huh? I'd appreciate the information. I'd appreciate some, too. Expense account item three, fifty for another cab to the home of Mrs. George Farmer. On the way over, I tried to put the first pieces together. A man named Farmer burned to death. A doctor named Evans had examined him and had some information. Evans winds up dead on the sidewalk. Answer, maybe Mrs. Farmer had it. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Thank you. It's going to be another hot day. I think everybody should have air conditioning, don't you? Definitely. Just make yourself comfortable. Can I get you something cold? Oh, no, thank you. I... I'd like to ask you some questions, Mrs. Farmer. About my husband's death? Yes. I've already talked to Mr. Arthur from your office, and I've told the police everything I know. Do you know uh, Dr. Evans? Dr. Evans? No. No, I don't know any Dr. Evans. Your husband never mentioned him? No. What's he got to do with my husband? He examined him for his policy. Do you know who sold your husband his policy? I thought you were from the company. Late hunch. Thought you might save me the trouble of checking. No, I don't remember who sold in the policy. All right, Mrs. Farmer, thank you very much. Is that all? Yes, Mrs. Farmer, that's all for now. Expense account item four, $1.15 for another cab back to the offices of Great Eastern Insurance. Where I looked up the name of the agent who sold Farmer his policy. He was Martin Ames, and he lived on the east side. Item five, ten cents by subway to the east side. Not conscience-stricken, just tired of cabs. Yes, what is it? I'm looking for Martin Ames. <laughs> hey, hey, take it easy. What's wrong? I'm Mrs. Ames. I was just on my way to the hospital. Martin's been in an automobile accident. <laughs> Expense account item six, eight dollars for a cab, fast and necessary. Three dollars for the necessary, five for the tip to make it fast. Nurse? Yes? I'm Mrs. Ames. I was told my husband... Oh, yes, Mrs. Ames, if you'll just have a seat. Well, who's in charge of the case? Dr. Gerson. I'll call him. But I want to see my husband. Can't I see him? You'll have to see Dr. Gerson first. But I want to know how serious it is. I should be with my husband if it's oh, serious. If you'll just be patient for a moment, I'll get Dr. Tully. Come on, Mrs. Ames. <laughs> Let's sit down over here. Come on. Now, just try and take it easy. Everything's going to be all right for you. Dr. Gerson, third floor reception. Dr. Gerson, third floor reception, please. Hello, darling. Oh, hello, Bill. Dr. Gerson. No, this is Lieutenant Briggs, Mrs. Ames. Uh, police officer? 
Just a friend. Nothing about my husband. No, Dr. Gerson's the man you want to see. Uh, can I talk with you, darling? Yeah, sure. Uh, excuse me, Mrs. Eames. Of course. You'll be all right? I'll be all right. Okay, Lieutenant. This is far enough. About her husband? Yeah. Died five minutes ago. Accident? No, hit and run. Before he died, he told us a car ran him off the road. He went down a 20-foot embankment and right into a cement retaining wall. Wall stopped him from going any further, but it broke his neck. Any lead on the other car? A uh, lonely stretch of road. No one else saw it, and it happened too fast for Ames to see much. One of your company salesmen, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, there's Dr. Gerson. I don't envy him. Come on, Briggs. This is turning into a rotten mess. Yes? Oh. Good afternoon, Mrs. Palmer. This is Lieutenant Briggs. More questions? Great so. Come in. Sit down. Thank you. Now, this farmer, two men have been killed today. Both of them knew your husband. What are you getting at, Lieutenant? I'm not sure. Where were you at the time of your husband's death? Right here. Right in this apartment. Why didn't you go with him to the Catskills? Because I didn't feel like it this year. He's been going to Catskills every year for the past 15 years, and I was getting tired of it. Are you trying to imply that my husband's death was not an accident? Yeah, we're just trying to find out why two men were killed. What have these two men got to do with my husband? Who are they? One was the doctor I mentioned this morning. I told you I never heard of him. The other was the insurance man who sold your husband his policy. I don't know anything about him. I never met him. Your husband started the fire by smoking in bed and then falling asleep. I guess so. How would I know? Was he in the habit of doing that? He's done it once or twice over a period of 15 years. Mr. Dollar, it seems to me your company is trying its best to get out of paying the money that's due to me. We're always allowed a certain time for an investigation. A representative from your company went up to the lodge and made an investigation. What more do you want? Uh, you were here in town at the time of your husband's death. Yes, and I can prove it. Now, if you have any further questions, I suggest you take them up with my attorney. I'm sick and tired of this whole thing. You've had absolutely no consideration for me. My husband is dead and you persist in foolish, tiring questions. Now, please leave. I... I can't stand much more. All right, Mrs. Palmer. Don't bother showing us to the door. I'm entitled to that money, Mr. Dollar. I hope it won't be necessary to take legal action. Oh. Want to take a run up to Sportsman's Retreat, Lieutenant? Why? I'm just interested in knowing how Mrs. Palmer knew one of our investigators had already been up there. <laughs> We will return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. A brilliant orchestra leader and a rising young singing star will be found at CBS, the star's address, starting tomorrow. Guy Lombardo and his famous orchestra are taking the place of Jack Benny, and Mario Lanza, the sensational tenor of records and films, will be heard on most of these same stations in place of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Be listening for their programs every Sunday, won't you? Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Briggs and I climbed into the squad car and started the long drive for the Catskills. Around seven in the morning, we turned off the main highway and onto a dirt road. A sign reading, Sportsman's Retreat, two miles, pointed the way... Twenty minutes later, we were pulling up in front of the main lodge. Oh, I got a stiff neck. Mm. Man coming out of the lodge. Yeah, morning, morning, morning. Good morning. Well, I suppose you could. Oh, police car. Huh? Yeah, I'm Lieutenant Briggs. This is Mr. Dollar. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Howdy. You up here about Mr. Farmer's death? Yeah, unofficially. You run the place? Well, do you ask? I'm the foreman. My name's Pop, Pop Sloan. Everybody just calls me Pop. We thought we'd stay a while, Pop. Can you put us up? Why, can I? Why, sure. How long do you feel on being around? Uh, not long. Well, come on in. Come in, come in. 
Breakfast was an hour ago. If you're hungry, I can have the cook rustle up some old Chinese bacon and eggs. Oh, sounds good. Many people staying here, Pop? Oh, about uh, 14. Uh, 14. The same crowd comes up every year. It's sort of a club, you might call it. How many years did George Farmer come up? Oh, about the last, well, 15 years, I guess. Who owns the place? Uh, Mr. Cameron, uh, Phillips, he ain't here now. He phoned and said he'd be in sometime this afternoon. Say, how how come you fellas are interested in Mr. Farmer's death? We had the sheriff investigate. Some insurance fellow was up here for three days. You're a little late, ain't you? Well, there are a few things we haven't cleared up, Pop. Sure appreciate some help. Well, yeah, I'll give you all the help I can. I'll go get some breakfast for you, and then we can gamble. Pop went back to the kitchen and we relaxed in a couple of big leather chairs in front of a large window that looked out on a row of cabins. Well, that last cabin must have been farmers. Yeah, nothing much left of it. Beautiful up here, isn't it, Johnny? Look at those trees with the sun shining through them. Uh, Lieutenant. Yeah? Your soul is showing. It was beautiful, all right. The cabin stood in a clearing, fronted by well-kept pads and backed by tall trees. Pop came in with enough bacon and eggs to feed a platoon of tapeworms, and we talked. Hey, where is everybody, Pop? Oh, out fishing. We get up about four. It's about 4.30 around here. Many of the men bring their wives? Bring their wives. Well, some of them. The farmer used to bring his up every year. She was the most beautiful, fine-looking woman, Mrs. Farmer. She didn't come up this year, though. Too bad, too. Oh, really? Why? Why? Why might have saved him? Maybe she'd have been here. She might have caught him with a cigarette before he went to sleep. Well, who, who discovered the fire? Who did? Well, we all saw it, but it was too late. By the time we got there, the whole place was burning. By the time we got the water hoses going, there wasn't much left. You say you all saw it? Where were you? Where were we? Why, we was up the Willow Peak cooking out. It's about for. Uh, three miles from camp. See it right from here. You see it at uh, that tall peak there to the left of the side. Uh, left of those trees. Yeah, yeah. How come Farmer didn't go along? Oh, he, I don't know, he never went on many hikes. He had trouble with his legs. Anyone stay here in the camp besides Farmer? No. Everybody was up at Willow Peak. Who examined the body? Uh, Doc uh, Combs from Everson come up and looked at the body. Where is Everson? Well, Everson is about uh, 50 miles east. But if you want to talk to the doc, you'll have to wait until he comes in from fishing. He's up here now. Yeah, he came up last night. He's going to stay a week fishing. Huh? Well, good morning, Mr. Phillips. I didn't expect you this afternoon. This is Mr. Phillips, the owner. How are you? Hello. More police fellows, Mr. Phillips. Oh, about Mr. Thomas there? Johnny Dollar. Yeah, I'm an insurance investigator. This is Lieutenant Briggs. He's the policeman. Well, I thought you both... I've got some bags in the car, Pop. Would you get them, please? Would you get them? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, we just want to ask a couple of questions, Mr. Phillips. Well, I thought the authorities were satisfied. Where were you when the accident occurred, Mr. Phillips? Well, I was on my way here from the city. I arrived about an hour later. You live in the city? I have a house there. I divide my time between there and the lot. Now, tell us something about Farmer, Mr. Phillips. What kind of a man was he? You fellas want any more breakfast? No, no thanks, Farm. Go ahead, Mr. Phillips. Well, there uh, really isn't around, much to yeah. tell. Farmer was a nice sort of guy, quiet. Do you have any trouble with him smoking in bed before? Several times. He nearly started a fire two years ago. Wouldn't that make you watch him a little more closely? Well, his wife came up with him every year, but this one, she was usually near enough to prevent any trouble. Isn't your company satisfied, Mr. Dollar? Routine. How long did Farmer usually stay here? Oh, a week, ten days. However long his vacation lasted. He was in the advertising business, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. How much did it cost him to come up here every year? Oh, anywhere from two to three hundred. He was tight as the devil, known for it. This was the only luxury he allowed himself. Tell everyone he'd save all year just to come up here and relax hey, for a week. Lieutenant, Mr. Dollar, here comes Doc Holmes. You interested in talking to the doctor? Yeah, Pop tells us he was the one who examined the body. Hey, what did you get, Doc? Uh, Pop, not in the limit. Well, good for you. Come on over here. That's before I want to talk to you. Well, how are you, Phil? Pop said you weren't due in until this afternoon. I'm fine, Doc. This is Lieutenant Briggs and Mr. Dollar. How are you, Doctor? Police? 
Uh, him, the other's an insurance investigator. I want to ask you a few questions. You better clear up a few things about George Farmer and getting things made. All right, thanks, Pop. What have you? Hey, I'm How about having a cook clean up those fish, Pop? The fish? Well, all right, sure. I don't think I could tell you much more than I've already told the sheriff. Did you know George Farmer prior to his death? Yes, over a period of uh, ten years. Did you identify the body? Well, not at first. It was pretty badly burned. Not at first? Well, how were you able to identify it later? Well, when they told me that George had a broken wrist, I found a broken section of bone and identified it. Broken wrist? Uh, yes, Mr. Dallas. When George arrived, his lower arm was in a cast. He told us that he'd uh, broken his wrist a week before. What day did he arrive? Uh, Tuesday of last week. Which wrist was broken? The right one. Would you say he could move his fingers well enough to write? Depends on how recent the accident. What are you getting at, Dollar? Do either of you know where Farmer had his wrist treated? No. Dollar, would you mind letting me know? Briggs, can you call the precinct and have a man check and find out where Farmer had that wrist treated? Sure, but I don't see why... George Farmer had to sign that insurance policy, didn't he? Well, he could have done it with his left hand. Go find out when he broke that wrist. And I think I can show you that George Farmer was murdered. Murdered? We all waited while Briggs put in a call to his precinct and sent a man out to check on where George Farmer had his wrist treated. Around noon, the call came in. George Farmer broke his wrist on the 26th of last month. That's terrible. It was treated at the Olive Hospital three weeks ago. Stayed one night at the hospital and went home. What date did he arrive here, Mr. Phillips? About the 4th. Two weeks after the accident. He died on the 11th. That's right. Been here about a week. Dollar, would you mind telling me just what you're driving at? The insurance policy went into effect the 22nd of last month. First claim on George Farmer's policy was the double indemnity clause, not an accident claim for a broken wrist. Come on, Briggs. Let's go back to town. Talk to Mrs. Farmer. <laughs> What is it this time? We'd better talk about it inside. I promise you, Mr. Dollar, if you continue... We're coming in. Why? Well, all right. We think your husband was murdered. Murdered? That's ridiculous. We feel that you were an accomplice, Mrs. Farmer. Are you serious? Very. We just had the lab make a check on the insurance policy. The signature and the fingerprints were from the right hand. Of course they were. So your husband didn't have a broken wrist at the time? No, we did that sometime later. Would you swear it's his signature on the policy? Of course it's his signature. I went to the doctor with him. I thought you said you didn't know Dr. Evans. I don't. He was the insurance doctor. Well, I'd never seen him before or since. How could you expect me to remember Your husband didn't turn in a claim for his broken wrist? That was his business, wasn't it? Don't you think it's rather strange to take out an accident policy and not turn in a claim on your first accident? I don't know. I didn't bother with my husband's affairs. Is this your husband's driver's license? Yes. Where did you get that? Motor vehicle department. The signature on his license is not the same as the one on the insurance policy. What do you mean? He means that the signature on the policy is a very clever forgery. Who forged it, Mrs. Farmer? I don't know what you're talking about. Who went to that doctor's office representing your husband? No one. Why in the world would anyone do that? Why would someone represent my husband? For a $100,000 insurance claim. That's awful. Get out of here. That's not true. I'll sue you for saying that. Your husband wouldn't take out a large policy on himself. So with someone's help, you took one out for him and planned his death. Who was in on it with you? Who killed your husband up at the lodge? Get out! Get out! It had to be someone at the lodge who knew what cabin he was in. No, no, no! The insurance salesman and the doctor were both killed because they could identify the man who took out the policy as not being your husband. No! Your husband was going to take this trip, so you planned his death and stayed home for an alibi. A man killed the doctor and the insurance agent. Someone strong enough to run a car off the road and lift an unconscious man out of a window feet first. Who killed him, Mrs. Farmer? I did. Bill! Good evening, Mr. Phillips. Why did you come out? Why didn't you stay in the other room? They never want you down sooner or later. The car's in the back. Hurry up. You did some fast driving. Left the lodge right after you did. Go on, Lona. All right. Stay right where you are, Mrs. Farmer. I don't think you're in any position to be giving orders, Lieutenant. Sure he is. We expected you. Told you where we were going. Gave you enough time to get here. And what are you going to do about it? Take you. Bill! Forgetting my gun. You're forgetting ours. Think you can shoot both of us before we get, get them out? I can try. Then try. Bill, no! Get out of the way! <laughs> Dollar? Okay. Uh -huh. 
Just a little scared. Girl's hit. <laughs> Phillips is pretty dead. Mrs. Farmer? Uh, yes. I got an ambulance. You want to tell me about it? Oh, all right. Don't make any difference now. Phillips killed your husband and the other two men? Yeah. We fell in love three summers ago. But he planned it. The whole thing was his idea. Sure, uh, I know. The state oh. is pretty narrow-minded about those things, honey. A guy like that gets ideas and gets dead for it. If you like his ideas, you just have to get into some kind of trouble along the way. Expense account item six, eleven dollars. Dinner for two. The good Lieutenant Briggs deserved all the stroke in our P8. Item seven, five dollars and ten cents for gas back to Hartford. Expense account total. $33.65. Remarks? Mrs. Farmer will probably get second degree for complicity. Great Eastern can cancel payment in accordance with the specifications set forth in said policy. Additional item? 12 hours good solid sleep for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and was written by Blake Edwards with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were High Everback, John McIntyre, Herb Butterfield, Harry Lang, Jeanette Nolan, and Virginia Gregg. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dick Cutting inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. It's the case of the uninvited guest that will bring you true police adventures on Gangbusters this evening. Your narrator will be San Francisco's police chief. Gangbusters is heard every Saturday on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for five minutes of the latest news, which follows immediately over most of the same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you meet adventure with Charlie Wilde Sunday is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Crime Solvers with more great shows from the golden age of radio. We bring new episodes every Sunday at noon and Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So until the next time, everyone, stay safe and we'll be back soon. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.